Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice is calling. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become like a plain and the rugged terrain like a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Amen? Then we know that John the Baptist quoted this same passage. As did Jesus and all the Gospels quote this passage. Luke 3, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled in. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight. And the rough roads made smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. So when John says that he quotes glory as salvation, he translates glory from the Old Testament as salvation. The salvation of God. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen? In this passage from Isaiah, he's saying God is coming, and he wants to reveal his glory. He wants to manifest his salvation to all people. But in order for this to happen, in order for this to become a reality, people have got to make some changes. They, in short, have got to create a runway for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. Something about the topography of our hearts has got to change in order for the Lord not to encounter obstacles in the advance of His will and the revelation of His glory. And he says that what this is going to equal is every mountain and high hill has got to be made low. And every valley and ravine has got to be filled in. And all the rough places have got to be made smooth. Isaiah and John are giving us a picture of the preparation that has to take place to create a space for grace. Are you with me? What are the mountains? What are the valleys? What are the rough places? If you listen, God will show you what those mountains are. 
and you'll be able to bring them down. If you listen, God will show you what those ravines are. He'll be able to fill them in. He'll show you what the rough places are. And he'll be able to smooth them out. So that there will be a smooth access point right into your life. So that grace and power and help can pour into your life without any hindrance. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to open our eyes. God, help us to see things in your word that we have never seen before. Help us not to hear the scripture like we've always heard it, but awaken our understanding to hidden truths that have hidden in plain sight before us up to this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel such an excitement and an anointing to share this with you. I hope that you will remove the barriers that might stand in the way of the grace that's going to come to those who have faith tonight. Amen? All right, I want to <clears throat> tell you a story. <clears throat> and you know the story. It's told in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Mark, and in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to refer mo mostly to the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. But Luke just completes the picture, and he's well worth reading. Amen? The story is this. Jesus is about to be crucified. It is just at the season of the Passover. It seems like it is just prior to the Passover. It seems like, in fact, that it is two days before Jesus is crucified. And he comes into Jerusalem. And what happens when he comes into Jerusalem? A great triumphal entry is laid out before him. People are taking the cloaks off their backs and laying it down on the street so that his donkey would tread on the cloaks. People are waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are laying the palm branches down on the road. The picture is very much a picture of preparing and making easy the way of the Lord. Are you with me? And yet... We are told that when the Pharisees hear the people, they are not blessed. The people are saying, Hosanna, which means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the Pharisees don't like it. And Jesus goes straight from this smooth road of acceptance offered by the people. And where does he go? Where does Jesus go? He goes to the temple. He has just had the most unbelievable welcome that he ever experienced 
in his entire ministry. Multitudes gathering, saying, Behold your king, and Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And on the wings of this victory, on the wings of this great acceptance, what does he do when he gets to the temple? Anybody? Anybody? I can't hear you. It says that he braids a whip out of strands of leather and he goes into the temple and he starts flipping over the tables of the people selling. He grabs their money boxes and it says that he shakes their money boxes empty out onto the ground. And cracking this whip, he drives them out of the temple. Whatever your version of Jesus is, this is an actual first-hand account repeated in, in all four Gospels of what he actually looked like. And they say, they remembered the, the words of the prophet, zeal for his house has eaten him up. He was possessed. Do you remember what happened next? The Pharisees challenge him, don't they? Don't they? What do they ask? By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? What kind of authority is this? This isn't a mandate from Caesar. This isn't a, a custom of our law or traditions. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And he asks them a question. What does he ask them? He asks them, the baptism of John, was it of man or was it of God? And what do they say? Help me out, brothers and sisters. They say, if we say it's of man, the crowd will stone us because they believe John was a prophet. And if we say it's of God, he'll say, then why didn't you listen to him? So they came back and they said to Jesus, we do not know. There's another piece in this story that we need to remember that's going to be important for us right now. What did Jesus do on his way into the temple when he woke up in the morning in the town of Bethany, the village of Bethany, 
and he was hungry, and he's moving up toward the temple. The climb to the Temple Mount is quite a climb. There's a lot of topography going on over there. Are you with me? I've climbed it. It's quite a climb. So if you're coming from Bethany and you're moving toward the Temple Mount, you're getting hungry if you haven't eaten that morning. What happened? Somebody. That's it. He comes to the fig tree. Are you listening here? He comes to the fig tree. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. I'm compiling them all together from Mark and Luke. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall anyone ever eat fruit from you again. Then he goes into the temple and he has this encounter with the Pharisees. Then they come back the next morning and the disciples make an observation about the fig tree. What was that? Sir? It was shriveled up and dead and what did they say? As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday has withered. And Jesus answered saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he has what he has said is going to happen it will be granted to him therefore I say to you all things for which you ask and pray believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you he goes on in Matthew therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance no 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 I'm excuse me I'm skipping it goes on in Matthew, the very next verse. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority? Are you with me? Are you getting the picture here? Jesus is walking up to the temple and there's this fig tree. Is he mad at the fig tree? Does Jesus, is it likely to expect that Jesus would become irate at a piece of wood? Hmm? Is he mad at a fig tree? So we can agree that he's not mad at the fig tree? Okay. He's not just, 
pitching a temper fit like we would slam the fridge if there weren't any food in there. That's not what's happening. We can agree to that. Amen? So what is the meaning behind this cursing of the fig tree? What is this meaning behind him telling them to have faith in God because they could curse fig trees and more than that, they could move mountains? Listen to what we began with from John the Baptist. The scripture we already read when John quoted from Isaiah 40. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every ravine will be filled in, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, the rough roads smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So John began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. So this notion of the hills being brought low and the ravines being filled up. It is the dealing of God that can be called the wrath of God. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for he can raise up sons from these stones. Indeed, listen to John in verse 9, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist came to these people and they said, You are not ready to accept what I am bringing until you are ready to recognize that your tree has no fruit on it. And until you are ready to put that axe all the way through the root, you will not be ready or able to receive the implanting of the new thing that God has come to do in you. So he told them, Go deal with this problem. Go evaluate your life. And don't come back until you're ready to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Do you think it is a coincidence that Jesus combines the cursing of the fig tree with the question about John's ministry? Do you realize that the last time the Pharisees encountered John... The last time they spoke to him was when he told them the axe was laid at the root of the tree. Do you think it's a coincidence that these two events are combined, the cursing of the fig tree and the question about John to the Pharisees? Do you think that's a coincidence? John had told them the axe was laid at the root. Is that not a warning? All that has to happen is for a little shove to come 
and your tree, it will be said of your tree, no more will anyone eat fruit from this tree ever again. You see, the Pharisees were supposed to have heard that word from John and begun a preparatory work. But they hadn't, had they? Were their valleys filled in? Were their mountains brought low? Were their rough places made smooth? Had they put their cloaks on the road? Had they laid their palm branches on the path? Had they made ready the way of the Lord? No, indeed, they had not. So here Jesus comes, and he's about to die in less than two days. And he's with his apostles. And here he's walking up to the temple. The picture of established religion. Amen. He's walking up to the temple. The very picture of entrenched, established, fortified, ossified religiosity, institutionalized religion stands before him. His apostles are with him. And as yet, not a one of them has received the Holy Spirit. They're still quite carnally minded, in fact. And they look at the way before them. On their shoulders is the task of bringing the message. How blessed are the feet of those who bring the gospel. On their shoulders is the task of bringing the message to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. But as they're trudging up that morning from Bethany, there is this great mountain of impossibility looming before them. In fact, it's a mountain that they have even admired. Lord, look at the stones. <laughs> and if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know what they were meaning when they said, look at the stones. Massive stones. Larger in weight. One stone larger in weight than a 747 Boeing jet fully loaded with all its passengers and all their luggage. Look at the stones. And what did Jesus say when they said, Lord, look at the stones and the buildings? What did he say? I know. Isn't it a marvel what the mind and back of man can do? Is that what he said? Hmm? So what did he say? He said, not one stone will be left upon another. Not one. And elsewhere and later, he said, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See now, your house will be left to you desolate. When these Pharisees encountered John the Baptist, they encountered a warning. And that warning was basically this. You are on a timetable. And you better evaluate your life and find out where you're not bearing fruit. And you better get rid of that tree. And you better let God put a new tree inside of you. You better find yourself grafted into the new tree, the vine that is Christ. Because the day is coming when that axe is just going to get a little shove and your tree is going to fall. And though you've been used by God for centuries, it's going to be over in one hour. Your tables are going to be turned over. Your assumptions are going to be turned upside down. And the very sign of life is going to fall to the ground. In one morning, in 12 hours of time, your place in the economy of God as a religious institution is going to be over. So he reminded them of the last thing they had heard from John. And they bifurcated they refused to answer. But the next morning, he must have known that his disciples were intimidated. Was he intimidated? Is that what was motivating him when he flipped over their tables? Was he intimidated? No. But he must have known what was going on in his disciples' minds. So he tells them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And he does not say, you will say to any tree, be uprooted and it will obey you. And he does not say, you will say to any mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and it will obey you. He does not say that. He does say, you will say to this tree and you will say to this mountain. I don't dispute that the principle applies to every tree and every mountain in God's way. That's not my point. But I want you to understand what he was talking about. They were coming to a mountain that they couldn't see any way around. And Jesus was saying, you know what? This mountain is going to move into the sea just as easily as that fig tree withered in 12 hours. Have faith in God. What was that mountain? What was that mountain? 
You know what the next thing, when he goes up to the temple, you know what Jesus tells the Pharisees? You know what his next message is to them? Do you remember? Anybody remember? He tells them the message of the vine growers. Do you remember the message of the vine growers? Anybody? Good. He says, God planted the vineyard. God dug the moat. God built the wall. Amen? What he was saying is, the place that you're occupying doesn't belong to you. This was God's doing. Right? And he said, God left vine dressers in charge. And he sent after in the time of harvest, God sent a slave and said, I'm here to reap what belongs to me. And what did the vine dressers do to the slave? Huh? They beat him and sent him away. So he sent another slave, and they beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent a third slave. This is what had happened to the Pharisees. God had sent them Elijah. Then God sent them Elisha. Then God sent them Malachi. He sent them Amos. He sent them all these prophets. And then at last he said, I'm going to send my son. Surely they will honor him. But when they saw the son coming, they said, Aha! Here is the heir. We will take him and kill him so that what he has will become ours. It's jealousy. It's envy. Competition. It's forgetting that the place that you occupy doesn't have its origins in you. It's forgetting that God has a right to impose accountability on us. Are you with me? It is this rejection of accountability. It is this resistance to authority. It is this forgetfulness that everything we have, we receive. It is these things that, that cause the Pharisees to reject Jesus. It was rejection of authority. It was disdain toward accountability. And it was forgetting that the fruits and the plants in our lives are not from us. It was these things that were the mountains in God's way. Mountains of pride. Ravines of self-pity. Amen. Rough places of doubt and unbelief. These were the hindrances in God's way.
Let me read you just briefly. Listen to another parable. This is what Jesus says while standing in the temple just after cursing the tree. Are you with me? Can you still picture it? There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. His produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first. They did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him, which is what they would do to Jesus in two days. And is that where the story ends? Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They're, they're going to come to an end. They're going to come to an end. The axe is going to go through the root and the tree is going to wither and no one will ever eat fruit from it again. And he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at its proper time. At the proper time, Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. And this came about from the Lord. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And that's why you don't want to fall. But whomever it falls, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. Then they sought to seize him, but they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. Thank you, Jesus. What is the rock Jesus is talking about? It is the rock of accountability. It is a rock of authority that does not originate in self. It is the rock of remembrance that you don't own the vine. And he says, that's the rock that you have got to fall upon.
That's the rock where the mountain is broken in pieces. Amen. The mountain of independence. The mountain of pride. Isaiah 8 had said, In that day he shall become a sanctuary. Jesus shall become a sanctuary. What does he mean by sanctuary? Temple, right? In that day he shall become a sanctuary. Destroy this temple. Are you with me? In that day he shall become a sanctuary. But to the house of Israel, he will be a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over. He will be a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken. They will even be snared and caught. Isaiah chapter 8. Amen. What did Peter say? This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, he is the stone which the builders rejected and has become the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. You're either going to bring your mountain down yourself and make it easy for God to come into your life, to send His servants into your life, to bring accountability into your life, to bring authority that makes you want to rise up and say, by what authority? You're either going to bring your mountain of pride down yourself and you're going to make it easy for the Lord to come in by your own free will or else the mountain is going to fall on you. In this parable, in this story, not just the parable, but in the story, the things that caused people to reject Christ and to kill Christ and to be rejected themselves and to end in doom, to be cursed and withered and to never bear fruit again. These things were three. They imagined that the good came from them. And they didn't want accountability. And they didn't believe the authority that was not from themselves. So if you can identify these three attributes in your life, and you can pulverize that mountain, then God is going to be able to come right in. He's going to be able to save now. But if you can't take your mountain and shatter it on the rock, 
the rock's going to fall on your mountain and grind it to powder. You see, the Pharisees had a window of time, and all of us do too. They had a window of time from their last conversation with John to Jesus' visit at the temple. It was always God's plan for Jesus to become the sanctuary, for Jesus to become the temple. It was always his plan for that house of stone to be brought low. Amen? What did Jesus tell the woman at the well? Woman, believe me. It was in his mind at the very beginning of his ministry In John 4, he's already saying, believe you me. The hour is coming when they will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Every mountain and hill will be brought low. They're not going to do it their way. They're going to have to take their way and break it. And there will be pieces from their way that God will still use. But if they wait and they refuse to uproot their unbelief, to uproot their pride and self-sufficiency, their fruitlessness, then it will not be them breaking and the pieces being used by God. It will be the mountain falling on them and grinding them to powder. Paul, the apostle, before he was an apostle, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Benjamite. Are you with me? Did he have knowledge? Did he have learning? Did he bring a lot from his past in Judaism? Yes, of course. But he was able to take all of that learning and all the good and he was able to let it fall on the rock and it was broken into pieces and he didn't cry about those pieces being broken because he knew that there had not been any fruit on him in a long time and he knew that this breaking was coming so that God could put it back together according to a new design and a new pattern. So he was able to say all the things that I counted as as gain, these, all the things that were gain to me, that really were achievements, that really were successes, I was able to break these. I count all these as loss. He was one Pharisee after their time. He was one Pharisee who was able to fall on the rock and be broken. And God uses broken things. Amen. But those others who could not change their attitude toward these three mountains, it was over. It was done. Now I'm done. But I want to ask you,
Are these mountains in your life? Have you subconsciously begun to convince yourself that you planted the vine, that you built the wall, that you dug the moat, and that you own the vineyard? Have you subconsciously started to develop a defensiveness? Because the axe is already laid at the root. And in the time between John and Jesus, if you can put that axe through the root, then we'll call it repentance. But if you wait and God drives the axe through the root, then we'll call it desolation. I have such a burden. I have such a burden in my heart for people who have gifts. Who are the most learned in Israel? Hmm? Hmm? They were the nearest to God. They had the most. I have such a burden for people of my own generation. You have gifts. You have knowledge. You've heard God. But you're just not ready to prepare the way for the Lord. You want God to come in and move your mountain for you. I got news for you. It's not going to happen. You say, I've got a, a mountain of distrust. God, if you really want my soul, then bring your dozers out and move this by morning. God, I've got a mountain of doubt, of suspicion. Overcome all my obstacles for me. Is that what God promises? I'll overcome your obstacles for you? Or another man says, it's God. There are no obstacles for him. Then why does Isaiah and all four of the Gospels command us to prepare the way of the Lord? Because God is not going to transgress your will. He's going to plead with you. He's going to persuade you. He's going to remind you of how much He loves you. He's going to show you what He's done for you and what He wants to do for you. But in the end, you've got to tear down your own mountains. And if you don't put the first shovel in when John first speaks to you, it's still going to be there when Jesus comes. Because it's going to take all that time 
moving away the mountain. You say, well, I don't have any mountains. Yeah, but you got valleys. Some people have their mountains and some people have their valleys and some people have both. Valleys are all these, these pits. You just picture the advance of God's army rolling along. A caravan of glory coming down your road. Amen? And you build good appearances. You lay branches across your road and cover them with leaves. So here comes glory. But beneath the surface, you're full of unbelief. You're full of self-pity. You're full of excuses that just make faith bottom out. And here comes glory rolling down your road and it gets to that good-looking place and kaboom! Glory stops where your ravine wasn't filled in. It's not God's responsibility to fill in your ravine. It's yours. That's what John said we had to do. We had to prepare the way for the Lord. And if you're somebody who wants to sit back and say, well, God, if I mean enough to you, then just do it for me. The rock is going to fall on you and it's going to scatter you like dust. You're not waiting on God. You're not waiting on God. And He's not waiting on you. He's coming. You better hurry up. You better hurry up. You got somebody in your heart that you resent. You got somebody who's told you what you're supposed to do and you haven't obeyed. Well, when the next word comes, that last word is going to be your snare. It's going to be your hindrance. And he's going to ask you, what would you do with the last thing I spoke to you? Why don't you talk to me about the baptism of John? Was it of man or was it of God? Notice he doesn't say, was it of God or was it of the devil? All it takes to miss God, all it takes to keep your mountain in place is to brush it off and say, yeah, that's just man. That's just man. Thank you, Jesus. But if you'll fall on the rock and be broken, what a word, you know? Oh, God. If you were going to fall, wouldn't you rather fall on some hay, some snow, even some sand, some mud? But if you fall on rock, there's no chance of staying intact. You're going to break. But in your current condition, there's no chance of God using you. There's no chance 
of fruit ever coming. There's no chance of you ever beholding His glory. He doesn't need you to jump on the rock. He doesn't need you to pitch a temper tantrum on the rock. He doesn't need you to carefully ease your way down to the rock. Oh, there's the rock. He just needs you to fall. Oh, he just needs you to stop holding yourself up. He just needs you to stop maintaining appearances. Oh, God. You say, I want to change. I want to overcome. I want to stop this behavior. But God doesn't want you to change your behavior. He doesn't even want you to pay attention to your behavior. He wants to change your inside. He wants to change your nature. He doesn't want you to bottle up and control your behavior like a dog with a shock collar. He wants you to die. He wants that something in you that's always right. He wants you to break that permanently. And start every argument from the premise of brokenness. Respond to every correction from the premise of brokenness. Brokenness. That's what God wants. So don't end the day anymore and say, I can't believe that. I can't believe I did that. I, I didn't mean it that way. Start the day and say, God, am I broken? Am I broken? Am I broken to the truth that in my flesh there is no good thing, but every good thing comes from the Father? of lights coming down from the Father of lights? Am I broken to the accountability that you might send to me this day? Am I broken to your authority in my life? Do I have supervision over my own life? Then I'm going to challenge and try to supervise the authority and I'm going to say, by what authority do you do these things? But if I don't have supervision and if I'm in fact broken, then I'm going to be looking for your slaves. And I'm going to be saying, I've got your fruit, the fruits of repentance. I've taken down the mountain. I've filled in the valley. Why don't you come on in? I want to receive the glory. Let's worship God. this up for you briefly with this last thought. Something made the Pharisees 
Come to the banks of the Jordan. Listen to the preaching of John and beg to be baptized by him. Something made them do that. It was called momentary surrender. But then he said, no, you're not ready. Go be broken. And that's, not what, that's what they were unwilling to do. And we see the same stages in this meeting tonight. In the beginning, we came to the banks and we said, God, this is what I want. This is it, Lord. And we wept and we said, submerge me, baptize me, take me, Lord. But now he's saying, but do you want to be broken? Come back with the fruit of brokenness. Come back with the fruits of repentance. And you're going to be ready for the glory that's coming down the road. Glory is coming your way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The spirit of glory rests on you, he said. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We don't want to have powerful altar calls and rebellious lives. We want to have broken egos and anointed lives. To give us golden grain And God uses broken clouds To bring the rain And broken grain To give our daily bread And broken bread To give us strength again gonna be broken I'd rather be broken for you for you have a way of taking broken things and making them just like new Lord I don't mind the pain do all that you must do to take me and break me and make me just like you to use us we must be broken down so the seed of his word can be sown man does not live by bread alone but when the seed is sown oh deep inside your heart find the greatest love that this world has ever known oh so lord if i'm gonna be broken i'd rather be broken for you for you have a way of taking broken things and making 
just like Just like you 